Hello and welcome back to Lairs with Books. I'm Sophie. And I'm Claire. And we are two friends keeping in touch through the power of books. And me and Claire love to get together during the week, talk about all the books that we have been reading and of course discuss the book that we are reading together. And at the moment we are reading Disorientation by Elaine Shea Chow, or shall I say we have just read Disorientation by Elaine Shea Chow because we finished it this week. And we're just going to go over our brief thoughts, give her our final rating and try not to spoil the ending too much, just in case you've mm-hmm. not read it yet or you are intending to do so. So Claire, what were your thoughts on your your chosen book club read? My chosen book, um, so I've, I have really enjoyed this this story. I have to say probably the ending was a little bit slower for me. The last part agree. of the book. You know, it started off, the book started off and it was really flowing really well and there was lots of funny moments and lots of uh, things happening. And then the last part of the book was a little bit slow for me. So I I want to give this book, I was going to give it an overdue, but I've taken it to a fine just because oh, I thought... The, it really went down then. It, I just thought the ending was a little bit slow for me and I, I um, yeah, it was good. The ending was good, but I also, something, somebody got away with something which I was cross about. I think a lot of people got away with a lot of stuff and yes, I also really disliked the end of this book to the point where I finished it and I, I think I gasped because I was like, what, I've been through all of that for that ending? It felt... Mm unjust in a way to the reader I don't know if the author deliberately did that because her whole message of the book was talking about injustice and discrimination and I don't know if she wanted us to feel a bit annoyance to kind of say well the wheel keeps spinning and nothing's really changed regardless of what mm. you've just read and, and fair enough if you want to make that statement but oh gosh as a reader it was so dissatisfying the ending of that book and you know, when we first started reading this, I was saying how much I was enjoying it, I loved it, it was funny, the satire was just right for me. But as you say, when you've crept past like the 250 page mark, that satire almost turns into a political discussion which turns into something far more serious and not that enjoyable to read and it gets a bit sludgy in a way. Um, And then when you have an ending like you do it did it did annoy me and I I think I would still have this book as a renew because I enjoyed the journey but as you say for me it is close it is in between like a fine and a renew Mm. and I can't really I don't really want to put it down to fine but it's just scraping by as a renew yeah which is interesting because I when you listen to our previous podcast, we loved this book. Yes, yeah. And it just goes to show that an ending can really hold the weight of how you feel about something. And I, I can kind of understand why the author did that sort of ending, because that is life, isn't it? Sometimes things don't change and there is all that injustice and people get away with this all the time. But... Yeah, I, I, I just wanted a particular person to get justice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like all of the horrible characters in this book didn't learn anything. 
No, they didn't change. And instead no. they kept taking their views forward. Mm. Mm. And I just thought, well, isn't the purpose of this book to kind of call those people out and get the reader to go, right, let's change. Let's let's make positive change. But mm. the author's saying, well, it's not going to happen. And I feel like, no, give us some positivity at the end. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It just oh. left a bit of a sour taste, as you say. Yeah. So that's that one. So uh, calling it renew, possibly possibly getting into the fine bit, but yeah. not quite. So it's, it's in between those, which Still is a, a shame. Still a great book. Still a great book. You should read it. It is a good book. It reads really well. It was just, for me, it just... Yeah, the last sort of hundred pages were let down a bit. Yeah, I I would completely agree with that. It's a bit like when we started reading, was it The Salt Path by Rena Wynn? And that started yes. off really well. And then after a while, you're suddenly like, gosh, is she ever going to arrive to wherever she's going? Like, there's too much walking going on now. So yeah, sometimes with a book, it's all about the pacing and yes, getting to the heart of the issue quicker, potentially. I think I I think they should take a uh, uh, take a page out of one of Lisa Jewell's books. Is all I'm saying. So Leading on to our Jewell. books, yes. So don't tell me you finished that already. I did. Yes, yeah, you're putting me to shame here. Like you're just finishing books every week. Oh my god, the family remains, which is the sequel to uh, the family upstairs by Lisa Jewell. Absolutely brilliant. Honestly, I just couldn't stop turning the pages and I didn't want to stop reading it, which, um, I mean, I ended up reading Disorientation really quickly, the last bit, because I was <laughs> reading that book and I couldn't put it down. And it just really good plot line. It, the book finished well. It, she could do another book from it, but she doesn't need to. But I'm always very, very sceptical about a sequel and this did not disappoint because it was mainly the story of Michael's other wife and Lucy and Henry, her brother, and the the way the story linked Michael's wife and Lucy was very good. Really enjoyed it. It was just a great book, and it, it's an overdue from me. Oh, Again. wow. Yeah. That's brilliant. So... To be fair, when you go to choose your next book now, it's not going to be the sequel or a Lisa Jewell book, maybe. So it's got a lot to live up to because you've just come off the back of two overdues. Yeah, I know. Sometimes it's hard to keep that momentum I mean, going, it, isn't it, it? It was tempting to go out and buy another one of her books or go and find another one of her books, but I haven't because uh, we went to the cinema the other week and um, this community cinema that is in Whitby at the Coliseum and they've got like little book sale going on there and so um, I picked up this for a pound which is a 2013 book I believe called The Fire Witness by Lars Kepler so I believe it's a Swedish author set in Sweden so there are some difficult difficult Swedish words Um, I've only just started it but basically, this is the, the premise of it, is one girl is dead at home for, at a home for troubled girls. A young girl has been brutally murdered during the night. Her body is found arranged in bed with hands covering her eyes. 
uh, Vicky Bennett is the only girl unaccounted for when a bloody hammer is discovered under her pillow. It appears that she was more than just a witness to the killing. One girl claims to have seen it all. In Stockholm, Flora Hansen works as a medium. When she begins to suffer crippling visions of a young girl's murder, there is only one person to whom she can turn. As Detective Inspector Juna Lina pieces the evidence together, the case descends into darker, more violent territory, leading finally to a shocking confrontation with its past. So it's been set in like this girl's like, kind of like a juvenile type place. Yeah. And yeah, and there was this, it started off very well with pretty violent deaths. And it's got a medium in it as well. Yeah. A bit of, you know, supernatural in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a chunky book as well. Yeah, it is a very chunky book. That's unlike you to pick up a chunky monkey. Yeah, super short chapters, though. Two or three pages per chapter. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's a big book, but I just, I love the front cover and I think it's going to be, you know, a very good thriller. We'll see. Anyway. I mean, I feel like whenever I watch Swedish crime dramas, they just do crime completely differently, don't they? Mm. There's yes. always so much intricacy and atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so I bet that will be good. And I think the, the girl with the dragon tattoo is written by a yes. Swedish author, isn't it? it and they're is. quite violent, psychotic thrillers type things. So, yeah. You're tapping your fingers there on your table. <laughs> You're getting into it. So that is what I'm reading now. Sounds good. So over the weekend, I picked up Five Survive by Holly Jackson. And this is the YA book that um, I mentioned that my sister had lent me. And I forgot how easy YA is to read when you're enjoying what you're reading. You know, I, I used to find when I picked up a YA book that I didn't like, 300 pages felt so long. <laughs> Whereas this one, I read it in like five hours and it was all in one sitting. I know, I probably should have stood up. But <laughs> I just I just sat down, picked up the book, you know, Strictly was on and then I'm a Celebrity was on and that was in the background. I was just reading this book and it was really, really good. It was very fast-paced, uh, quick, punchy chapters, interesting storylines, um, a lot of action and suspense, which always kept you turning the pages. There was never really a good place to stop because you were like, wait a minute, what's going to happen next? So you kept going, or at least I did. I kept going and going. But I will say, this this book is... There's definitely something missing in this book because... I didn't really resonate with any of the characters. I all, I found them all quite annoying, so I didn't really care if any of them were killed. And in a way, I was kind of upset that more of them didn't die. You know, I was waiting all the time for these people to be, like, murdered and nothing happened. Um, so that, that I think, was missing. There was not a, a decent character in a lot of them. Um, but it, it, somehow that still didn't affect the suspense. You were still like, ooh, is someone going to get shot sort of thing. And then the story itself, it was quite predictable in places and then at other times it still had enough twists and turns to be like, oh wow, I didn't see that coming even though I saw like all this other stuff. So it had a really good balance, but the ending of this book, it, it wasn't as disappointing as, say, Disorientation's ending, but there was something about the ending of this book that made me go, mm, I'm not sure about that. It felt a bit like a cop-out when we'd gone through all of that together. Mm. 
So for me, I think this book would probably be a renew because there was obviously something about the book I really enjoyed because I was able to read it so quickly and I didn't put it down. So there's obviously something there that I enjoyed, but there was something else in the book that definitely felt like it was lacking, but I'm not really sure. I can't place my finger on it, but there was just something that made the book go, yeah, it was it was all right, even though I couldn't put it down. So yeah, that is Five Survive by Holly Jackson, and that would be a renew from me. I mean, know with her, the other book, she put in lots of different types of media so she put in texts and she put in letters and stuff like that was that any of that in this holly jackson book there was and it was right at the end of the book so the interesting thing about this book is that because it's set over eight hours each part of the book is an hour of time which means the whole book takes place in this one camper van on this one street and they never move from that location over the 300 pages which is probably something else that I struggled with because I'm someone that really enjoys a setting and I enjoy exploring in a book and they didn't go anywhere. So maybe that was something I didn't like as well. But in terms of other medias, at the end, there is like a newspaper article and there's a letter, um, but it's it's right at the end of the book. And in a, in a way, the way she used those mediums, it rounded off the wider story, but also felt a bit of a cop out, do you know? Because <laughs> it was just like tagged on the end. But yeah, she did use them again. Oh, okay. So the next book I'm going to read, ages ago, I read the first page of this book out. I think it was the first line. And you were like, nah, you shouldn't read that. So still. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm picking it up because this book is He Who Drowned the World by Shelley Parker Chan. And it is the second novel um, to the first novel, She Who Became the Sun. And I absolutely loved She Who Became the Sun. It was like one of my favourite reads. I think I read it last year. Absolutely loved it. And I just thought, I want to read this one because I bought the signed copy and everything, I think, back in September. And I want to read this this one before the year is out because I find with sequels, if you wait too long, especially when they follow on from like this epic fantasy, you forget who everybody is. And I, I feel like if I left it any longer, I'd be like, wait, who's this character? What did mm. they do in the first book? So I thought I'd pick this up and actually read it before I forget who everyone is. Uh, this is He Who Drowned the World by Shelley Park Chan. And you thought it sounded boring because it started off like very historic. <laughs> nothing nothing interesting at the beginning. But um, So this book is, is basically you follow uh, Zoo, who's from the first book in... She masquerades as a man throughout the entirety of the first book to... I don't know, I think she just does it for survival, really, but she ends up becoming king of this army. So it sounds like in this book she's going to carry on her ambitions and try and rule the whole of China. Meanwhile, you've got like new players coming into the mix to sabotage her, and then her old enemy, who was like by far the best character in the other book, is is coming back, who's... um. He, he was part of the Mongol army, but he ended up, like, killing quite a lot of the Mongols. I don't think that's a spoiler too much, maybe. Uh, but he's coming back, which is quite fun, because I thought he died in the first one. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays a role in this story. Oh. It looks a big <laughs> book. Yes. It's got those lovely blue-tinted yes. pages. It's got, um, like, a flower golden dragon over the front. Yeah. But it looks very pretty. 
It is. So that's kind of like my my political historical fantasy novel that I'll probably end the year with because as you say, it's quite big. But the last book I read by Shelley Parker-Chan, I devoured really quickly. So it could be a similar situation. But sequels, you never know. Mm -hmm. Always sceptical I am about sequels. But you have some of the fun news to share with us, don't you, Claire? Well, I thought if we had a little bit of time at the end, so I... I do outreach sessions and I, I go off to the, the care homes and I talk about different subjects. And the subjects I've been talking about this week is Christmas traditions in the Yorkshire area. Yeah. So I've been talking about Christmas traditions. And one of them I'm actually going to make tonight. I'm actually making one because I'm going to um, a meeting tomorrow for, it's called Dementia Forward, and I'm going to talk about Christmas traditions, and I promised them that I would bring them some frumity. Some frumity? Frumity. You heard of frumity? Obviously Never not. Never heard of it. It is a very famous Christmas Eve dish that they eat after they've lit the Yule candle and the Yule log, which are equally important traditions, and there's this massive um, shout-out of Merry Christmas before they all sit down and consume their feast, which starts with frumity. And frumity comes from the Latin word frumentum, meaning corn, and basically it looks like porridge. What? They eat porridge? It looks like porridge. It's made with wheat. And I've got some, some cracked wheat that I'm going to boil with water for an amount of time to cook it. And then you add um, Christmas spices to it. And then before you serve it, you can add cream and, or milk and a bit of sugar and some rum. And then maybe you can put in a bit of dried fruit and you serve that on Christmas Eve. So I'm going to make some of that, Sophie. How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, does anyone still make frumity? Apparently so. When I did a social media post about frumity, because I did write a food article as well for a magazine, and I spoke about frumity, and apparently there are families in the Whitby area that still cook it and eat it on Christmas Eve. Because yeah. I feel like the wheat, if it was an olden tradition, was that was the only thing that was available, but then... Boiled wheat doesn't sound very tasty, so they thought, let's no. make it boozy, put some rum in there, yeah. put some fruit in there. It's almost like got all the flavours of a Christmas yeah. pudding. But, we, but if wheat. you, if when I Google frumity on the Whitby Gazette, it comes up with hundreds, hundreds of things about frumity. And basically, this, this is from the Whitby Gazette in February 1905, because we have a digital Whitby Gazette in the library at Whitby Museum and uh, the making of frumity was always a great event especially for children the housewife passed the wheat through a ringing machine or laid it on the stone floor where she crushed it with flat irons or big stones or set on the children to beat it with sticks then in order to remove the husks it was washed in cold water twice or thrice and passed through a sieve placed in a stew jar with lid filled with water and stands in the oven all night after baking, the next morning it presents the appearance of jelly cake. Then add it to a saucepan of boiling milk and sugar. A favourite seasoning is cinnamon. There you go. What is jelly cake? 
it, it resembles, I don't know what a jelly cake is. It resembles jelly yeah. cake. We don't know what jelly cake is, but it, that's what jelly cake looks like. That's yeah. all we need to know. So there you go. Wow. I'm, there you go. A, a Christmas Eve tradition of consuming frumity. So, listeners, do any of you eat frumity? If not, check out Claire's article. You can uh, get about making some frumity this festive. <laughs> in the, the, in festive the frumity. News. <laughs> There you go. That's where you can find the recipe. I think I'm going to pass on the frumity this time, Claire. Um, Just because it doesn't sound nice. But I'm sure you'll tell us next week if it was a delight or a disgust. I mean, each to their own traditions. And uh, you can all imagine Claire is now beating some wheat with irons this evening. Of course, I've done all that ready for this. You, you always have so many interesting stories now. Well, I have many other traditions, but there's too many to go into. But I can tell you that I talk about Captain Cook's Christmases and I renamed it Captain Cook's Very Drunk Christmases. Do you know what? You need to tell us about that on next week's podcast, a special okay. Christmas podcast next week. I like okay. that. So that brings us on to next week so next week me and Claire will be talking about our year in review talking about the books that we've read this year you know the books that we read on our own together talking about our favorite reads our least favorite reads and why and maybe what we're looking forward to as we go into the next year when it comes to reading Claire will also be sharing with us uh the captain's drunk Christmas so look forward to that (laughs) (laughs) as always do follow us on our Instagram at loungingwithbooks It is goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.